Good morning, everybody. If you want to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, that's where we'll be this morning, Luke 1. We'll get through verse 39, I believe, this morning, or actually 38. 1 through 38 is where we'll be. I wrote out some cheat sheets for everybody. The schedule gets a little interesting this time of year for church events, so I'll run through these for you. December 18th, um, that is going to be the children's Christmas program at the 11 a.m. service. Uh, December 24th, that is Christmas Eve, we'll have a 7 p.m. candlelight service. And then on Sunday morning, Christmas Day, we'll just one service at 11 a.m., just one with Sunday school. So no 9 a.m. service on Christmas Day. December 28th, that's our midweek Wednesday. We take it off every single year. There is no Wednesday service every single year, just so you know. And then December 31st is Saturday. That's our uh, 6 p.m. to midnight New Year's Eve party. And then January 1st, that's the only different thing we're probably doing this year because it falls on a Sunday. January 1st, we'll do a Sunday 11 a.m. service with Sunday school, just like Christmas, with no 9 a.m. Now, I've written these out, but I've also got sheets that you can take with you, put it on your refrigerator. Um, We will do slides. We will do Facebook posts, Instagram posts. If you show up and we're not here... I have no sympathy, no empathy, sympathy, whatever. I'm kidding. I know it gets a little, just a little strange for this time of year, but we're going to do our candlelight service like we always do. And Christmas falls on a Sunday, so we're just going to do the one service, let people kind of sleep in, have some family breakfast together, you know. You know, and some people suggest, well, maybe we ought not to have service. How can you not have service on when Christmas actually falls on Sunday, you know? So... Um, it's kind of the point. So, uh, I know a lot of people travel too, and you know, God bless you on your on your trip. If you're not here, that's we won't. You don't get a red check mark. That's like your only. We'll let you off the hook. All right. This morning in Luke, um, we'll be spending the next four weeks here. Uh, Luke one and two. We'll get through these. We'll cut them into. We'll obviously cut it into quarters. So one through thirty-seven today, or thirty-eight. What I say? Uh, yeah, thirty-eight. And uh, we'll get at it here. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to begin to celebrate this season where uh, we're just excited about your birth. Uh, We know this isn't the exact day of when you were born, but we don't need to get into all that. That isn't the point. The point is we're excited about your advent when you did come, and we're celebrating the time when you were born and that you came for us and to go over all these things that were written down and documented for us that we might know exactly and be certain, as Luke uh, proclaims this morning, to be certain of the things that we've heard and of the things that we've read previously. So uh, we thank you for that certainty. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, you don't have to turn there, but I'm going to turn there. It's in Malachi. It's the last book of the Old Testament. The last book of the Old Testament was written 400 years prior to Jesus's advent, to the beginning of him returning, of him showing up for the first time. That's what that means. The second coming of Jesus takes place in Revelation 19. The first appearing, though, is in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and that's where the Gospels start and the New Testament starts and all that. So most of you know that, but some people don't. So I go over those things. Between Malachi and Matthew, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, is 400 years of God being silent. It was a very hard time for them. With that final chapter of Malachi, in chapter 4, beginning in verse 5, behold, this is the last word God spoke, okay? Behold, look, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Now, that's the expectation. It's kind of a theme here today as we go through Luke. The expectation. It's kind of broad. We don't have a lot of details. We, knew, though, we do know that Elijah is coming, though. So the expectation for the nation of Israel is they're looking for Elijah. They're waiting for him to show up right before Jesus comes, Okay. Now, they don't know what we know. They don't know um, that Jesus is going to come twice. 
There's a reason he comes twice. Not only is it God's plan, but the nation of Israel rejects Jesus, his first coming. Okay, But he will come again, thus ushering in the church age, the rejection of Jesus Christ by the nation of Israel, their Savior, gives opportunity for the Gentiles, and that is our grafting in to the branch, which you can read about in the New Testament. We don't have time for all that this morning. And then when that church age is done, when the time of the Gentiles is over, when that last Gentile gets saved, so to speak, because many get saved, in the Great Tribulation, then that second advent begins to start. That final seven years, that last, Daniel chapter 9, that last opportunity for Israel to receive their Messiah, Jesus Christ. And they will. And they will. The Bible says so. And we see that in Revelation chapters 6 through 19. Okay. Then chapter 19, uh, Jesus comes back. Okay. That's his second advent. That's the great and dreadful day of the door of the Lord. Okay. So, Luke, though, uh, is an interesting chapter. Just You can read it so many different ways, uh, not different interpretations, but get so many different um, themes out of it. You know, you could just go down this road and go through the whole book. You could go down this road and go. This is the one that I feel the Lord spoke to me to, to teach on is the expectations. And we're off. People get off. We begin to fill in the generic, broad prophecy with what we think specifically will take place. And then when it doesn't go down like we specifically think it'll take place, although God never said it, that's all in our heads. It has nothing to do with the general prophecy. We made it out. We had this plan. This is how God's going to do it. And it doesn't happen. That's when our unbelief gets in the way. You see, everybody, everybody gets it wrong here. Everybody is expecting Christ. They are expecting Elijah. And yet when he comes in the form and the spirit of Elijah comes in John the Baptist, and when Jesus comes in his first advent, but not how they think, they reject it. Why? Because it doesn't meet their expectations. The prophecy is fulfilled. It's perfect in the way God planned it, but because their expectations weren't met, they reject it because it wasn't according to their plan. We have to be very careful about that in our lives. That'll be our lesson this morning. Verse 1. Luke, Dr. Luke, um, he is a Gentile. He is the one that um, is alongside Paul in his ministry and so on, begins to write. So if you were going to read anybody um, from a different perspective other than the Hebrews, Luke is the one. Luke writes the book of Acts also. that So book of Acts is like Luke 2. It's like part 2, okay? So those are great companion scriptures to read together. Luke, he's writing to a person, the accounts of Jesus, and his name is Theophilus. And he wants this Theophilus, who he's obviously been ministering to or had the opportunity to, you know, at least convey some of the things of Jesus and uh, wants to confirm. And so he writes this detailed account just for this guy, okay, to read and to know um, that he might know. And can you imagine taking that much time and ministering to one person? I mean, it ministers to many, many others. God obviously had other plans for this letter that he's written to this Theophilus. But as far as Luke's concerned, he's not thinking, well, someday I'll be canonized and I'll be put in the scriptures, you know, and Maryville, Missouri, Calvary Chapel will be reading my text when, you know, never crossed his mind. His only heart was for this one guy. And he takes the time to in detail write out everything he knows about Jesus Christ just for this guy. That individual ministry. This is important We gather together. We're not to forsake the assembling together, but this is nothing compared to the individual ministry we have with one another or with other people. Luke takes the time to write this and the book of Acts, which we're so blessed by, for one guy, for one person. And as much as many have taken into hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. Something to refer back to, something to know that what I was instructed in verbally, audibly, 
I'm writing it down so that you can refer back to it so that you know for certainty. There is no reason for us not to know for certainty. Luke wants to make sure. Luke knows for certain. He wants Theophilus to know for certain. If I don't know for certain, how in the world can I minister to somebody else for them to know for certain? The last thing I want to do is to take somebody to my walk with Jesus, which is iffy and toggles and fluctuates and waffles and goes up and down, and I'm not sure. I want them to join me in my life of uncertainty. No, no, no. We need to be certain. We need to know because we want to take people to that because the whole point of this, the whole point of Jesus coming is for us to have peace and that you don't have peace when you're in the mountain and in the valley and in the mountain and in the valley and you're up and you're down and you're waffling back and forth through belief and unbelief. God wants us to be certain. He tells us we can be. I want you to be certain, he says. He begins with this in verse 5. There was a in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. Gives us a little background into this wonderful older couple with no children. This older couple walked in the ways of the Lord perfectly. Now, does that mean they lived a perfect sinless life? Of course not. But they followed the law perfectly. So when there was sin in their life, they handled it according to God's instructions. That's all God ever asks of us as new believers, as New Testament believers, as believers in Jesus Christ. Please know that. Does he expect you to walk a perfect life? He calls us to holiness. He wants us to be holy because he's holy. But he also has given us a provision for when we're not. We confess our sins. We make our requests known to God. We have an audience with the king. There is nobody else we need to go through. He's given us a high priest named Jesus that we go and say, and the high priest is also the sacrifice at the same time. I've sinned. There is no person to go through anymore. We go directly to the throne of grace and mercy in time of need. And we need it a lot. But he's given us that. For you to walk perfectly as a New Testament Christian, please hear this. If you want to walk perfectly as a New Testament Christian, you walk in holiness. And when you don't, you go to the throne. That's the perfect walk with Jesus. Ah, I wish I'd stop sinning. So So do I. And so do we. We all wish we'd stop sinning. But when we sin, we have an advocate with the Father who's ever lives to make intercession for us, who's always there and his blood continually washes over us. It's a, it's a perfect walk that I have with God now, just like Zacharias and Elizabeth. Now they didn't have Christ, obviously. They were doing what God had called them to do then. And that's the difference. That's what, I'm mean, not the difference. That's the same. Abraham was accounted righteous because he did what God said. He believed God at his word. Elizabeth and, and, and Zacharias were right before the Lord because they did what God said. Those were the instructions he had given. They believed God. And likewise, as New Testament believers, we're called to believe God and to just do what he says. It doesn't ever change. From Genesis to Revelation, it's the same command. Believe God and do what he says. And they are. They were righteous before God, but they didn't have any kids. They were both well advanced in years and she was barren. Now, there are expectations back then. If you were a barren woman, there was something wrong with you. Not physically, but spiritually. They didn't believe that you were right with God. There was a reproach upon you. Probably not spoken because that's awfully awkward. I mean, even for our standards in a day and age where people are less and less afraid to look you right in the eye and tell you what they think, you know, civility is gone. There's always that feeling in that sense at the well when she would go get water. There was always that. And the scriptures document this. This isn't me. This is just what the scriptures say. There's a reproach upon her that although, you know... Yes, the other women come and they've got to carry babies in tow to get the water. And they notice Elizabeth has got her both hands free. You know, simple things like that. They'd never say, oh, you know, you don't have any children. But they'd say, hey, could you carry my bucket today? I got my hands full with my kids. 
implication being you don't have any kids, you've got two free hands, you know? She's been living with that. Does that change her walk with her Lord, though? Does it change her relationship with God? I don't even know if she had expectations. The expectations of society, though, was for her to have kids, and she didn't. But did it change how she felt about the Lord or how she walked with God? It didn't. She still obeyed the Lord. She still walked with him. She didn't let that expectation that everybody had, there's no promise of that, no promise of children. She didn't let that change her walk with God. Neither should we. I think that's, as, a, as a, someone who counsels people, that's, that is always the root, I would say. Almost always the root of every problem that I counsel is there was an expectation that wasn't met. And so here's the tagline for tonight or t- this morning. Our only expectations should be the promises of God. Those are the only expectations we should have are the promises of God. Everything else may or may not happen. But the promises of God are sure. And those I can count on. But everything else is just a, a maybe. You see, God doesn't give us promises of children at all. There's an expectation of children, but not a promise. And when our expectations um, supersede God's promises or go beyond God's promises, we can be prepared to be let down. And that letdown is what causes people to stumble into sin or to walk into sin or to walk away from the Lord because that expectation wasn't met. We compare our lives with each other. I don't have the same thing they do. That's the expectation that it should all be equal and same, but it's not. And the world falls into that trap as well. And then we walk away from God and you have to walk yourself back through that. Did, did God ever say to me that that was going to happen? Did he ever give me that promise? Or is that something I put upon God? She hasn't, they haven't. There was a lot of prayers offered up. We know that for children, that's what you do. And there's nothing wrong with that. But up until now, It hasn't happened. And they've accepted the no. God doesn't have to say yes to those prayers. Zacharias and Elizabeth have accepted the no from God. But they still serve him wholeheartedly. They were righteous before God. Verse 8, so it was that while he was serving as priest before God, in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, His lot fell to burn incense and when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. Hmm. It's been 400 years since God has spoken to the nation of Israel. And the first thing that's said out of God's mouth after saying, look out, the next time you hear from me, it'll be from Elijah. This angel shows up and speaks in Zacharias while he's alone with the Lord. Now what's happening here? A lot of people don't know. They would take a two-week turn, the best way to put it. These priests would take two-week turns at, this is my turn to offer up incense, and they would break it down that way. Well, it was Zacharias' turn to do this burning of the incense. And he is in the Holy of Holies place. He's offering up the incense. Sometimes we get confused as to whether he's on the, uh, which side of the curtain he's on. If you don't know the makeup of the, of the tabernacle or the temple, depending on, at this time it's the temple, um, the curtain breaks up the room into two rooms, basically. The Holy of Holies and the Holy Place. And sometimes the scriptures have the incense on this side of the curtain, the Holy Place. Sometimes it has it on the Holy of Holies side. We assume it's on the Holy side, and then the curtain's in front of it, and you offer up the incense and the blue curtain's right there, and God's just on the other side of it. That's what we assume. Because these represent prayers, and that makes sense. they got the blue sky. You get the whole idea of heaven, God's over there, and not... Okay. So he's burning incense. It's his turn. So he's in the holy side, we believe. And he's offering up these prayers for the nation of Israel. And this angel shows up and says, don't be afraid, because he was. 
Your prayer is heard. I'm here to give you a good word, not a bad word. Malachi wasn't such a great word. Zacharias is getting a good word from the Lord. 400 years of silence. Now, um, the fact that he's serving, the fact that he had received a no from God as far as children goes, and he's still doing what he's called to be doing, is a testimony to him. You can see why God chooses this couple. God chooses people that can that he can say no to and them not pout about it. Um, God calls people that are doing his will, regardless of whether their expectations were met or not. When he sees somebody who's waffling or going back and forth between trusting God and not trusting God, obeying God and not obeying God, based off of what God is doing for them on any specific day, that's a hard person to use. That's all of our hopes as believers is to be used by God some way. To have him call upon us when it's time. Zacharias and Elizabeth have been faithful. I mean, boring faithful. Like, of course they're in the temple. Of course they love God. They don't speak anything ill of the Lord. They always have a word for us. They're always care- humble, humble, humble people serving God. Even in such an exalted position as being a priest, praying for the nation of Israel, pretty high up, still humble. And so it, it's, it's no wonder that God says, this is a good couple to use. I'm ready to do my thing now. Now here's the thing. Bob, the other priest that was two weeks prior, might be just as good as Zacharias. I don't know his name. But he didn't get chosen because it wasn't time. And that needs to be okay with Bob. You know, a lot of these people, and there's a priest that comes two weeks after Zacharias, and he didn't get chosen, and he might have been holy too. It's not like these are the only two that follow the Lord, but they didn't get chosen. Nobody needs to be upset by who gets picked and who doesn't get picked. We just need to be excited that God's at work. You see? That God's doing what he wants to do. Zacharias, when it was his turn, God said, I'm going to use you too. I mean, there's a huge thing taking place here. The, the advent in, of, of Elijah is going to take place right before Jesus Christ. It's been 400 years of silence, but he's also going to take care of a tiny, tiny little problem with a tiny, tiny little couple by giving them a baby that they've always wanted for. Wanted, you know? A prayer that was just between them and the Lord. God's going to cover that too at the same time. He, he, he takes care of the huge, huge, huge things and the small things too. I, I, I was going to say kills two birds with one stone. That's, that's not... That not the term to use for this, is it? It's not appropriate. But he does handle two beautiful little problems and prayers, one big, one small, I guess, at the same time. And isn't that just like him? Their little prayer and their little acceptance of God's no makes them perfect candidates to be used in the humility that they carry with them wherever they go. Hey, you're going to have a baby. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. He's going to give him some specifics. You don't even have to, one, you don't have to get the baby name book out. Got it. You know, it's John, not Elijah. He's going to explain that. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. I can't have his faculties, you know, clouded. I need him to be a clear thinker. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And we're going to see that when Mary meets Elizabeth, right? The babe leapt within Elizabeth's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. That is the fulfillment. Now, this is where... We can struggle sometimes with these prophecies. Back in Malachi, I mean, I read it to you, but I'm going to, we need to go over it a little bit. I'm going to send you the prophet Elijah before the great and coming, you know, dreadful day of the Lord. Well, 
you kind of get the idea that he's going to come in Revelation 18. And then Revelation 19, Jesus shows up. That makes sense. And he does. He's one of the two witnesses, we believe. But he adds this. He's going to, have, he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Now, he will do that during the Great Tribulation period too, but he's also just proclaimed that also through this John. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. So when God says stuff in his prophecies, they're not necessarily chronological you know, or a one-time thing. This spirit of Elijah that's in John, and we're going to read that in, in, in many different places in the New Testament, is going to turn many people to God. That's the whole point. He's getting people ready for Jesus. Verse 17, he will also go before him, God, in the spirit and power of Elijah. There it is. That's not what it says in Malachi. That's, that's the difficulty we have. We're just very, you know, well, it says that Elijah himself will come. And so therefore, John isn't Elijah. Therefore, that prophecy isn't fulfilled. But God's like, no, 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 you, you read that and you put your expectations into that prophecy. And what I'm telling you is he is going to come in the physical, you know, uh, appearance of Elijah is going to take place. That's not what this is. But this is in the spirit and power of Elijah. It's the same thing, which shows that that Malachi prophecy is much bigger than just some guy showing up. It's, it's happening, you see. And can, can that, can God do that? Will we allow him to do that? Will we, we allow him to have John the Baptist be born and move and work in the power and spirit of Elijah? Or will we reject him because that's not what it says? I think you got to let him. He's the creator. He meant more than what we understood. That's Okay. He will also go before him, God, in the spirit and power of Elijah. And here's why. And he actually quotes the scripture to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for um, the Lord. All right. Um, he's doing it. This is taking place and it's, it's got to be okay with you. Um, he's going to fulfill these things. Now, Zacharias knows now this is not just an answer to our prayer. Yay, we got a baby boy. No, you got the baby boy, you know, of all baby boys. Um, that's amazing. Um, nobody expected Jesus. So, I mean, of course, Jesus is the baby boy, but to have, good, good for you, Mary. Um, but as far as expectations of of a man being born for the sake of the coming king, that's a pretty good baby to have. So not only am I going to answer your prayer with giving you a child, I'm also going to give you the child that we've been waiting for from the last time I spoke in Malachi. When God fulfills our prayers, if we can accept his nose, an amazing thing when we just let him. I think of Isaac. And, the, and, and, and poor Hagar and poor Ishmael, but they paled in comparison to what God had promised and wanted to do. What, what Abraham and, and, and Sarah, or Abram and Sarai, did in their own strength paled in comparison to what God wanted to bring into their lives. And it's such a good lesson for all of us to just let God bring into our lives what He wants and not force it, and not try to make it happen. Elizabeth and Zacharias were content with the no, or the wait, or whatever word they did or didn't get from the Lord. And God shows up and gives them a baby like they never thought they'd have. I think I've said this before, and I've heard it. I heard it. I'm, it's not, I'm not coining the phrase, but that sorrow in our lives digs the trench or digs the path for joy. And the deeper the trench and the harder the sorrow, the more joy that comes into your life. So you've been waiting for decades for a baby to the point where you can't have any. And everybody just kind of looks at you and says, oh, poor, you know, poor Elizabeth. 
And then you say, I'm pregnant and I've got a new baby boy coming. The joy is so much more than if it had been answered the year the first prayer had been offered, you know? It took decades of sorrow, decades of mourning, decades of difficulty, and, and what she describes as reproach upon her life, feeling the stares and the, the innuendo behind every comment, you know, the subtleties of everybody's glance at every party or every family get-together. You know. To say, I've got that baby I've been praying for. What? The joy that floods her life. It's hard to know that during the time of sorrow, during the time of difficulty. It's, it's hard to, and I don't know that you do or need to, accept it, enjoy it, and, and, and boy, oh God, I hope you bring me more sorrow to dig a deeper trench for joy. I don't know that we need to feel all that, but what we do need to do in those sorrowful times is to be like Elizabeth and trust God. To let him do whatever he wants to do with our lives. And if that's what he wants to bring into my life, I'll accept that, God. I'm not mad at you. It doesn't cause me to not worship. It causes me to draw closer. And I trust you. I trust you. She did. And God brings in a beautiful joy into her life. This is him. Now, poor Zacharias. Verse 18. And I don't say that. He gets what he gets. And Zacharias said to the angel, how shall I know this? That's his problem. If he had said what Mary's about to say, and we'll read that here in a minute, Mary says, how can this happen? That's different from how shall I know this? What he means is, how should I believe you? Mary believes, he just doesn't understand how it's going to happen. That's acceptable to God. I believe that you're going to give me a baby Jesus. I believe all that. I believe what you have to say. Let it be to me. I just, how is this going to take place? I just kind of want to know what's supposed to happen next, because I don't have a Husband. That's a legitimate question. Zacharias' question isn't legitimate for a believer, for someone who follows the Lord. It's a mistake. It's a sin. How am I supposed to believe you? How do I know? For I'm an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. In other words, I'm giving you the excuse as to how I can't figure this out or see. I don't believe you. No. That's the word, K-N-O-W. How do I know this? So the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel. That's the first thing out of his mouth. Um, because I'm Gabriel, you know. <laughs> we have a lot of angels in Scripture that are mentioned, very few names. I noticed that. We know from Scripture that there are millions of angels. We have no idea how many, but Jesus says, if I wanted to, I could call for 12 legions. That's 12,000 to come and help me at that time. We know from another scripture in the Old Testament that one angel can wipe out a whole bunch of people, 180,000 people. So strength is not an issue. And we know from numbers that when we see the book of Revelation and we see all the peoples, the multitudes times multitudes times multitude, we understand as far as the eye can see to the horizon are people and angels worshiping. But only... Three names are mentioned of angels. He's high up, is the idea. He's not just an angel. Gabriel's the one that gave Daniel the answer to his question about the the dream that he had. I don't understand. I need to know. I need to have the wisdom. Gabriel says, I was sent immediately. And I started to get, I got into a fight with this other demon. And that's a paraphrase, of course. Then Michael showed up, the archangel, and he took care of him while I came down here and gave you the answer. I am Gabriel. He says to Zacharias, I'm Gabriel. One of the three mentioned, Lucifer is one of them. That's the devil. Michael's the other. And then there's Gabriel. Those are the only three mentioned. Because I said so. I stand in the presence of God. I'm his, I'm his messenger. And was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. This is good news. Your questioning of this is ruining it, Zacharias. You're ruining this moment. Now, I don't know what expectations Gabriel had, 
He shows up. He says, I have got to, no, don't be afraid. Get up. I've got great news. That prayer you guys prayed, it's answered. You're going to have a baby. His name's John. You're going to call him John. And he's going to come in the spirit and power of Elijah. He's going to turn so many people back to the Lord. And he's going to make the way straight. He's going to, how do I know? How do I know? That is not the response, Zacharias. That's not appropriate. You should be overjoyed and excited, but instead you answer with unbelief. Disappointing. I'm bringing you good news, but behold, that was his answer. (laughs) Not that God can do anything. He can help your old age and make it work out. He's got, no, I am Gabriel is answer number one. I stand in the presence of God, answer number two, and I speak to you and bring you these because I was sent, answer number three. But behold, you will be mute. And not able to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my word, which will be fulfilled in their own time. Hmm. Zacharias' expectation of how God was going to answer his original prayer for his baby wasn't met. And then so then didn't believe the answer when it came. Didn't accept it. And it puts a cloud over his ability to thoroughly enjoy what God is going to do in his life because there's a greater good. First of all, I want to bless Elizabeth. I also want to bless the nation of Israel. I want to bless the world. But you're not going to be able to talk. I'm going to keep your mouth closed while this unfolds here, at least at the start, until the baby's born. So for nine months, you're going to get to think about this. Now, that seems to be an audible that Gabriel calls. I don't know if you know what an audible is, but I don't know that he got instructions to do that, but he can. It's okay. No, because I'm Gabriel, because I stand in the presence of the Lord, and because this was glad tidings. Now you don't get to speak for nine months, you know, because hmm. his expectations were different. We need to learn to just accept things that God brings into our life. My day, you know, in, the, in, in our prayer, that Jesus gave us as an example and to pray, give us this day our daily bread. The whole idea was we need to focus on today, right? And not tomorrow or the next day. God will take care of us then. Those are the things. I want you to be concerned about today. Now, there are promises of God that refer to the future, but until he brings those to pass, my concern is for today. Whatever God brings in my life today, that's exactly that's exactly what I need to, to do. And to I'd say deal with, but that's that gives a like, uh, you know, like it's a, a problem or a difficulty. But though I just walk in the things of the day. If I can wake up and learn to wake up with less expectations about how the day is supposed to go compared to other people or compared to my own ideas, I'm so much better off. If I just walk with the Lord and let him bring into my life what he brings into my life and be in the moment with everybody that's in front of me and Trust God at that moment every single day. So much better. Verse 21, and the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. So he's taking longer than he should. More expectations. Isn't that funny? I mean, it's constant. How long is this sermon going to be? The expectation is you think I'm going to be done at 10.15 because that's when I normally am. Guess what? Your expectations aren't going to be met. Or they might. Might get done early too. We're going to sit and enjoy what God wants to teach us this morning and tune in and focus and learn. It's no accident that this is coming up this morning in your life. You'll probably hear this 10 or 12 more times this week alone from other sources. That's just how the Holy Spirit works. You'll hear it at work. You'll hear it from a a friend. You'll hear it on the radio. You'll see it on a sign. Expectations, expectations. It'll just keep popping up. It's like when you buy that red minivan. It's new to you. And you've never seen another one like it until you start driving it. You're like, oh my gosh, there's 27 of them in the Walmart parking lot. Which one's mine? God is going to speak this to us. He wants us to get this down. Please lower your expectations. Trust in my promises 
And just let things unfold in your life because I know what I'm doing. Accept the no's and the waits and the maybes. And when I fulfill what I think you need and what I want to do in this world, it's going to be beautiful. And you can enjoy the whole process if you'll just accept my answer to begin with. Or you can be mad at me and be frustrated and doubt and wonder and waffle, and I'm still going to do what I'm always going to do. It's my choice. He lingered a long time, and they marveled at that. He's in there a long time. We should be home by now. I've got something on the fire, you know, kind of thing. But when he came out, he could not speak to them. That was unexpected as well. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. He wanted to desperately tell them, you see what he missed out on? And if someone who is chosen to stand to represent the entire nation of Israel and offer up prayers and incense and to be in the presence of God and to receive something from him and to come out and share with the rest of the people, if that can happen to him, that can happen to any of us. None of us are above this. He could have come out and said, the silence is broken. The 400 years is over. Elijah is coming, and I'm going to have a son, and it's from my own body and from Elizabeth's own body. I mean, there was so much he could have shared. But instead, all he could do is, you know, beckon. So it was, as soon as the days of his service were completed, that he departed to his own house. Now, after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived And she hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. There it is. So much is covered here, and I won't spend a lot of time on it, but I want you to notice this. As soon as his days were done serving, he went to be with his wife for many days. And the scripture makes sure to document that it was after that time that he was back with his wife, that she had the baby. You know why he does that? You know why he has to do that? Because the assumption is made that while he was serving, she was off doing something with somebody else. And because he couldn't give her children, she got, I mean, he's got to cover all the bases, cover all those scrutinies that'll come up. Oh, you're pregnant. Wasn't Zacharias at the temple? You know, he's got to cover all those. No, it came came after he came home. Everything was functioning like it was supposed to function. We won't go into great detail. God gave them the full joy of the experience from beginning to end, all of it. All of it is by God's design. Elizabeth, Zacharias, and then she went and hid herself for five months. Now, why did she do that? Anybody that's ever had a miscarriage knows why she did that. She's afraid to tell. You know, why five months? I want to make sure. I don't want to get my hopes up. I don't want to, I mean, who knows? But there's a reason she hid herself for five months. It wasn't by the direction of God. He never said, I'll be sure, don't tell anybody about this. No. He was supposed to be able to come out of the temple and immediately share that. This is just showing the humanity of these two people. And God's promise is still coming to pass in the middle of their humanity. Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among the people. Can you imagine showing up? She's hit herself for five months. She's an old woman. And she says up and she's got the baby bump of all baby bumps. Elizabeth. She's like, boom, you know, mic drop. I love it. (laughs) Joy. So much joy. The expectation of the people that she should have had children, the expectation of the people that she can't have children, and God blows away through all those expectations. Verse 26, Mary. Now, in the sixth month, the angel of Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. Now betrothed, of course, means that they're going to be married in a year, but they are as good as married. If they wanted to get out of the the betrothal, they'd have to write a letter of divorce 
So they are, except for the physical contact, they are together. Okay. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. You don't need a baby name book either. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign forever over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Now, isn't it appropriate that last week we did Psalm 89? Psalm 89 was where the psalmist is saying, how can these promises that are meant for David come to pass? David is gone. We're in captivity. No one's on the throne. What do you mean that David's throne will be forever? The next thing we hear is that this Jesus is going to be the king that they've all been waiting for. He is the answer to Psalm 89. Perfect timing. There was a promise that God made to the nation of Israel about the king of David. There was an expectation by the psalmist that wasn't met. Be really, really careful of that. We're no different than any of these great saints of the Bible. Our expectations can almost ruin the beautiful promises of God. It won't stop them from coming to pass, but it can ruin our enjoyment our joy, our peace. If I can accept his promises and not have these expectations and plan out the details. And Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? I just want to know the mechanics of this. How's this going to happen? Because that's the answer. That's how I know what she meant. The answer isn't, how come you couldn't believe me, Mary? You won't be able to speak, you know, The answer is he goes over the mechanics of it. Well, the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. It won't be Joseph. The Holy Spirit and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also that holy one who is to be born will be called the son of God. That's how. So he gives her the answer that she asked. She doesn't have a problem with it. She's just wondering. So do do we move the wedding up? Is it Joseph? Has something happened to this baby? I just don't understand what's happening. I don't, it's not that I don't believe you. I just don't get it. He says, no, 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 no. You don't have to do a thing. You don't have to do a thing. Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. He's going to overshadow you. And that's how we know it's going to be the most high. He's going to be part God, part you. He's going to be completely God, completely human. That's what we're doing here. Joseph's kind of the stepdad as well. Now, indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. So I'm going to blow away the expectations of everybody who thought she couldn't have a baby. And I'm going to blow away all the expectations that thought you shouldn't have a baby. She was living in reproach up until the baby. After the baby, you're going to live in reproach your entire life. All because of the expectations. That's the hardest part for me. What great news between her and God, but what horrible news between Mary and the rest of the world. Because what Mary is saying yes to is everything and every expectation and every hope that everybody in the world, all of her family had for her, is all going to go down the drain as soon as they find out she's pregnant before she's married. And she's going to try to explain to him that this is the Most High and that God overshadowed her and the Holy Spirit and the angel came and they're not going to believe her. She's accepting in this not a promise that's been waited upon like Elizabeth, whose reproach was her entire life also, but only in the end did she receive joy. Mary is saying, all the joy and the excitement of my up-and-coming marriage and my future children is all going to be all lost. She's actually opting. (laughs) She's choosing 
to bring sorrow into her life, to let that trench be made. She's going to thoroughly enjoy Jesus for 33 years anyway, until she watches her son die on the cross. But she's also accepting the reproach of everybody. So Mary says, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. What a wonderful young lady. That's why God chose her. Because she'd say yes. She's always been the maidservant of the Lord. She always has been. And that's not going to change, even though he's asking her to take on a very difficult, if not impossible for most people task. She's going to say, you bet, let it be. I love you more than this world. Always have, God. I always have. I'm excited for this season. I love, there's so much to learn. There's so much to be thankful for. There's so much to rejoice in. There's so much for me to be better by the end of this Christmas season. Be better version of JD at the end of this. I hope we all aspire to that. To receive everything God has for us this season. To not go about it like it's 2020, 2019, 2018, 2017. But this is going to be a different year for us. We're going to be better. We're going to know Christ more. We're going to understand him better. We're going to understand the birth better. Christmas is going to have deeper meaning. All of it. All of it. Because we're going to let it unfold. We're going to let the relatives come into our lives. We're going to let people leave our lives. We're going to let God do whatever he wants us to do in our lives. And we're going to receive it with gladness, like JC prayed to begin with. We're going to enjoy the whole process. We're going to have peace in it and peace through it and peace after it. Because God brings peace if we trust him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these beautiful ladies in the scriptures here. We thank you for Elizabeth. We thank you for Mariah or for Mary and their example to us. God, we want to be that kind of faithful son or daughter of yours. Regardless of our expectations, we pray that those would go away, but that we would earnestly hope for your promises and wait for your promises and be content wherever you have us and whatever you bring us each day. I pray that you bless this season, this time that we've decided to set apart for you and for your birth. I pray that we keep this in our mind and in our hearts the whole time as we move through these next four weeks and beyond, but these next four weeks as we gear up for this beautiful celebration of your advent. God, I just pray that it's a wonderful, deep time with you. Help us to share it with other people. Help us to keep our eyes wide open for anything. I have no expectations. I just want to keep my eyes open to everybody that may come into my path and to minister to everybody by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, glad to pray with you. Otherwise, have a good rest of the week.